church family, it's good to see you. I feel like it's only been one Sunday, but I looked at Bethany this morning and said, it feels like I've been gone a month, uh, but it's only been one Sunday. But part of that's because in the last two weeks, uh, just our world finds even more ways to plunge itself in greater chaos, and things start moving fast and quick, and I realize uh, from, uh, from war in the Middle East and, and, and chaos there, uh, to on the polar opposite side of things and very much not serious to the chaos of uh, every Rangers and Astros fans taking shot at each other <laughs> on whether or not it was intentional hit by pitch or not. Uh, but in, in the midst of all of that, uh, my world's just been tunneled vision. We're so grateful for your prayers. Uh, Bethany and Jesse and Elliot are all doing well. And I did bring you a picture this morning. Are you happy? There's baby Elliot. He's a cutie. His eyes are closed. One day I'll get you a picture with his eyes open, but that's the best I had for this morning. And uh, we just are so grateful for you, church family, and your love and care for us as we walk through, walk through these days of some sleep and some not sleep and this, that, and the other. So that said, if I say something that sounds absolutely ridiculous today, just email me because I might not even know what I was saying especially since I got less than four hours of sleep last night. So on that note, if you will, I want you to turn with me. We're, we're in the, the second to last of the seven churches in Revelation. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. And, and as we do, I just, just give you some questions to think on and ponder for a second. Have you ever felt small, insignificant, powerless? Have you ever felt despair, discouragement, the desire to give up, especially as it relates to following Jesus? Have you ever wondered if He is worth the cost? If you're a follower of Christ and you've never experienced any of those things, then I don't know what vacuum you're living in. Those are normal things for a human being following the Lord in a broken world to experience. The question is, how do we respond and overcome that? And Jesus gives us the answer to that this morning. Look with me, Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to pick up here in verse 7. And this is what Jesus is saying to the Apostle John to write down. He says, And to the angel, or to the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, or he who is the holy one, he who is the true one, who possesses the key of David, who opens and, and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open, this one says this, I know your deeds, I know your work, I know your labor. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing which is about to come upon the whole world to try and test those who are dwelling on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your victor's crown. 
Here's what Jesus says. He says, John, I want you to write, one, one of these seven churches you're gonna write to is the church in Philadelphia. And I brought you a map this morning. I've mentioned where these are located, but I thought it'd be good to see it. Here's a map of uh, uh, modern day Turkey, but back then Asia Minor. And, and you can see kind of, maybe there's, there's kind of some strange black looking domes with steeples. Those are churches. And if you just start, if you start with the one by the word Lydia and make yourself in a circle, you just count over six and you'll find Philadelphia just underneath the A of Asia. Philadelphia, it's obviously we know Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love, but the original city of brotherly love, which we'll find out didn't have a lot of brotherly love. But the city of Philadelphia, Philadelphia was established uh, long before the Roman Empire, it was established and named after its founder to be a gateway and a, in a sense, a missionary city for the Greek language and culture to the eastern part of the empire. It, much like we call St. Louis the gateway to the west, the launching point uh, for the westward expansion of the U.S., so Philadelphia was like the eastern gate to the Greek empire back in the day. It had a reputation for being a, a center of evangelism for Hellenism. And it's a city interesting where it sits. It, it sits in a volcanic zone, which, which means a couple things, both good and bad. One, it means it sits in a place where earthquakes are common, where, where the very nature of, of the landscape presents a, an, an unknown danger at all times to to its citizens. In fact, in AD 17, some 80 years prior to this, the city had been leveled and even renamed itself and, and added other names for, for Roman emperors who would provide the funds to rebuild. There had been major earthquakes there that presented a danger to the city. But, but the other side of that was the volcanic soil provided some of the most fertile ground for the growing of vineyards. And so the economy, when, when vineyards were flourishing, the economy was thriving. It was a, a, wealthy, a wealthy city named after her founder, renamed after her benefactors. It, it was a wealthy city. But understand, as a, as a citizen of Philadelphia, you would be living in a place where the cracks on the walls of your house would be an ever-present reminder to you of the unpredictable nature of where you live, where because of the thriving economy in some ways that it would conflict with, with rulers, both local and national, the economy would be shuttered. You were living in a place where there was always a danger of chaos and uncertainty, and you didn't know if you were gonna be okay tomorrow or not, and reminders of it were everywhere. Most people in Philadelphia didn't actually live in the city, they lived out in more space on farmland so that they wouldn't die if an earthquake hit. This is the city of Philadelphia, and somewhere along the way, some believers came, a church was started, and Jesus writes to this little church, and he, and he tells them, he reminds them who he is. He says, he who is holy, the Holy One, a title for God in the Old Testament that Jesus clearly asserts upon himself because Jesus is God, I am, he is the Holy One. It speaks to both a separateness. Jesus as God is unique. He's distinct. He's different than all of creation. Jesus as Savior is separate and distinct and 
from all of mankind's sin. He is unique and distinct. He is morally pure and righteous. He is without blemish, spotless. He is the holy one. He is the true one. Now, the idea of true here is, is, is certainly that whatever Jesus says is honest. It's, it's true. It's, it's not lying. That is certainly what is there, but, but it's beyond that. It means that Jesus is the real deal. When it says He is true, He's the real deal. He's, he's actual. He's the genuine one. He is God Himself truly, and because He is God truly, what He says is true. He says He is the sovereign ruler. He says He is the one who possesses the keys of David in fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 22. He is the rightful heir of the kingdom the ruler, the sovereign. Not only is he the sovereign ruler, but he's the sovereign doorman. He says, I, I, I open and I shut, and whatever I open, whenever I shut, there is no one in all creation who can oppose it and stop it. Jesus says, this is who I am, and he writes to this church, and here's what he says. He says, I know your deeds. Now, he said that to every church. He says, Philadelphia, I, I know your deeds. I see your hearts. I see how you are living, how you are moving, how you are breathing. I see your deeds. And drop with me for a second because he describes his deeds later on in the verse. He says, I see your deeds, that you have a little power, and you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Here's what he says. I, I see you, church in Philadelphia. You're small. You're not a large congregation. You're not likely a wealthy congregation. And you certainly have little, if any, influence over, over the policies and, and the daily realities of your society. You have little power. But despite the oppositions, despite the insignificant way you appear to the world, in spite of how powerless you are, you have honored my word. You have loved me firstly. You are faithfully serving. It says you have not denied my name. It's not just that you've kept my word, but they are walking in a right personal relationship with Jesus Christ where they love him, where they serve him, where they are active in witnessing for his name. He says, I, I see. And he says, behold, I've set an open door. There, there is a door in front of you. Now, if you really dig in the weeds, there's a lot of different opinions on what is the door Jesus opened for this church. There are some who would say, well, Jesus opened a door of ministry. He was telling them, you may be small, but I've opened a door of evangelism and ministry, and certainly that goes in line with ways that Paul speaks. Pray that I have an open door for the communication of the gospel, and certainly, based on how Jesus commends this church, they were a faithful witness. But but while it may be that, it seems more accurate. He says, I, I have the keys of David, and I open and I shut. What is that language to? It's, it's the person who gets to decide who comes in the kingdom and who's left outside. He says, look, you who are insignificant, you who are powerless, you who are, are doing whatever you can to love me and honor my word, I have opened the door to you into my presence, the door into my throne room of where you find grace and mercy in time of need. It is wide open, and there is no one who can deny you entrance because you're mine and I open the door. It's a powerful statement. He reminds a, a seemingly powerless and insignificant church. He, he says, I've opened the door. You have every right 
to be before me. And we know from Scripture that's because they have first responded to His offer of salvation and been saved by grace through faith in the blood of Jesus. He says, not only have you not denied me and you've kept my word, he said, but he says that there are those among you, there, there are those among you who claim, he says those who claim to be Jews but are not. Here's, let me paraphrase that into modern words. There are those who claim to be part of the people of God. They are claiming to be Christian. They are claiming to walk with the holy, true God, but they don't. In fact, what they're doing and how they act and what they're preaching, they are actively contributing to the work of Satan. Now, they don't think they're actively contributing to the work of Satan. These aren't Satanists. These aren't people worshiping Satan as a deity. What they are, though, are people who are misinformed and, 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 are, and are misrepresenting the one true God all in the name of that God. And they are opposing the actual church, the actual people of God. And, and this was common in the first century, and it's common even to this day. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian really walks with Jesus, and not every church that claims to follow Jesus really does. He says, and I'm going to make it clear. I'm going to vindicate you. I'm going to make it clear that you who, who those, those individuals look at, those individuals who are opposing you, who are persecuting you, who are telling you that you're wrong, that you're bigoted, that you're out of line, that, that you're nothing, that you just need to change, that you just need to go away, I'm going to make it clear to them that it's you whom I love. You're who the, you are the special object of my affection. You are the one who I am looking to. I'm going to make it clear because I have and do love you. He says, you've, because you've kept the word of my perseverance, because you have kept the word, my word, my command that I lived out, Jesus gave a command to endure, to bear up in the face of opposition and under pressure and to endure. He also modeled it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross he says, you have kept the word of my perseverance, the word of my endurance. He says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing which is about to come. Now, we could get real sidetracked here today, church family, because there's two, there, there, when you come to this phrase, that phrase, the hour of testing, which is to come on the inhabited world, when you look at that, it's used about five other times in the book of Revelation, and in every, in every case, it's, it's a reference to God pouring out His judgment, His just judgment on the unbelieving world. Okay, well, that would point us towards, towards something future in the time of tribulation, so if the hour of testing is, is, is God's judgment poured out upon the unbelieving world, and we, we see that most fulfilled in the time of tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, where we, we, the seven years of tribulation, then what does it mean he will keep them from? And there's two ways you can translate it. He will either keep them from by removing them completely, that would be the idea of a, a rapture before the tribulation, or he will keep them from, by, he will keep them through meaning you may live through it, but none of it will touch you. You will persevere. I will protect you. Now listen, here's the reality. There's, there's, I'm not qualified and skilled enough to answer every question you've got there. I can tell you what's there. What I can tell you is the point is this. You have clung to my word. And those of you in Philadelphia, make no mistake, I am going to protect 
and preserve and bear you through whatever may come. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to make sure you come through just fine. So in light of this church in Philadelphia, in light of the fact that I, I, have, I have seen you and I have evaluated you and, and I find you faithful and true, you're keeping my word, you are not denying my name. In light of the fact that I will love you and I, I will vindicate you before your opponents, in light of the fact that I will protect and preserve you through, here's what he says, I am coming quickly, hold fast, be immovable, don't give up what you have, don't back down any ground, lest someone take from you your crown, and by crown it's the word for the victor's, the victor's crown the medal to the one who finishes the race. He says, you hold fast. Now, church family, why is this? Why is this the command that we find? Here's a faithful church. They don't have much power. They face real opposition. They love Jesus. They're following Jesus. They're standing where he stands in his word. They're engaged actively in ministry. Hold fast. The singular focus of the whole passage, hold fast. Why? Because church family, here's the real reality. Whether it was our brothers and sisters in the church in Philadelphia in the late first century, or whether it is us today, in Northeast Austin, if you set your heart, if you've been saved by grace through faith and you set your heart to know Jesus truly, to love Jesus fully, to follow Jesus faithfully, if you set that as your path, you will find yourself living in a world where you have increasingly less power. You will find yourself living in a world where you will face real opposition. The reason there is a command to hold fast is because there is a real temptation to let go. I'll give you an example. You, you say, I, I want to I honor and love and follow Jesus, and I need to be a witness. I need to share the gospel. And so you begin to look for ways to share the gospel with coworkers, neighbors, friends, classmates. You share the gospel, you, you, you've prayed through it, you've read it, you share the gospel and you discover that no one responds. Oh man, what am I doing wrong? Why isn't this there? Or maybe not only no one responds, but you get flagged by the principal or the boss for proselytizing. You say, I'm, I'm gonna set myself to, to follow Jesus faithfully. I, I know there's some, some hot topics in culture today where even churches are capitulating truth, but I'm gonna stand firm. I'm gonna stand firm as a student on, on what I post in Instagram, and I'm gonna do it with kindness and graciousness. And all of a sudden, you're called a bigot, and you're misrepresented and you're ostracized. You say, man, the economy's tight. God's really stirring. I want to honor Jesus with, the, with, with my finances. I'm going to be faithful to tithe to the local church. And, and all of a sudden, you start to write that check, and month after month, more and more bills come and hit you, and finances get tougher. All of a sudden, you, you're in this room. Maybe you're a caretaker for a loved one, or maybe you're a young parent, who, and you say, I, I, I got to seek Jesus. I need time in the closet, in his word, and in prayer, and you start to make the decisions to try to do that, and, and far from getting easier, sometimes it means you're even more exhausted, and you're fighting not to fall asleep 
as you pray. Listen, here's the reality. We live in a world, church family, where if you set yourself to know Jesus truly, to walk with Jesus faithfully, to love Jesus fully, you are going to experience and walk through seasons and times and moments where there is a real temptation to despair and give up, and you will feel powerless to change it. That's why the command is hold on. Hold on. Why? Because He is worthy. Hold on, why? He is worthy. He's the holy one, the true one, the the sovereign ruler. Uh, He's worthy. Not only that, but he says to the church in Philadelphia, and so he says to us today, I've opened a door for you. Why? He not only is he worthy, but church family. He's, He's walked a path for us. He's opened a door of ministry. He's opened a door of ministry that's only open to us because first and foremost, he's opened the door to a relationship with Him that is protected by Him, by grace through faith. Church family, whether it's us as a congregation or whether it's each one of us as an individual believer, God has a race for us to run. There is ministry in this world that will echo into eternity that God has called us to do as a church and us to do as individual believers. And we cannot allow the temptation of powerlessness, of insignificant, of feeling small, of the normal despair that comes from living in a broken and hostile world. We cannot allow it to cause us to trip on the course. We must hold fast. How? Well, he says, hold fast. Hold fast by His grace. You notice, here's what he says. He tells his church to hold fast, but, but notice he's already told the church, but I understand you have little power. We need to understand today, church family, that our ability to hold fast to our Savior, to hold fast to the course that He calls us to, is in no way impacted by what level of power or influence we have in this world. Amen. We can live in a culture that has the Bible as its constitution, or we can live in a culture that will put you to death for saying the name Jesus the very second you open your mouth, and neither culture gets to determine whether or not we can hold fast. And we need to understand that today because some of us will look at things and go, well, it's easy to hold fast when culture says it. Listen, forget what culture says, yes or no, good or bad, right or wrong. We must hold fast. And culture doesn't get to determine the ability that I have as a Christian to hold fast. Not only that, I can hold fast no matter if I'm powerless in society, but I I can hold fast not because I have the strength, but because His grace is enough and His power is perfected in my weakness. Listen, not one of us in this room in Christ has enough strength in and of ourselves to hold fast to Jesus, but He does. And what does Paul say is the hope of glory? Christ in me. Whose grace is sufficient? Jesus' grace. Whose power is perfected in my what? Weakness? God's. Through the Holy Spirit, God himself living within. Church family, here's the reality. We are weak, but we overcome by the blood of the Lamb who he is and what he's done in the word of our testimony, walking in it by faith. 
So what does this mean? Well, let me be clear what this means. When I say that we don't have the power, that doesn't mean we don't have to make a decision. Every day, you and I as, as believers have to make a decision unto whether or not we will, we will abide in Christ, as to whether or not we will walk in the grace of our God, or whether or not we'll try to, to pull up our own bootstraps and do it ourselves. Okay, weakness has nothing to do with making a decision. We have to make a decision, but here's the decision we make. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna stop looking at my own power and might. We're gonna stop looking at what I feel I have the ability to do for Jesus, and we're gonna start looking at what he says he has the ability to do in us. We're gonna start shifting our focus to his grace. We're gonna practically start confessing, Lord, I am really feeling beat down today. I don't know how I'm gonna hold fast. I confess to you I am weak. And Lord, I praise you that you are strong, that your grace is sufficient, that your eyes, according to your word, are scouring this earth, looking for the heart who seeks to honor you to greatly aid them with your grace. That your word says your thoughts are are on me more times in a second than I could ever possibly quantify with a number. And it's not, because I'm the, it's not because I'm the idol of the world, but it's just because you're that good and you truly want me as your child to follow you. I praise you. And then after confessing my weakness and praising his goodness, you know what I do? I get up and I act like his grace is going to be sufficient because it will be. That's practically what we do. We hold fast. How do we hold fast? By his grace. Now understand, church family, let me just be clear. If you say, all right, pastor, I'm walking out of here today, I'm going to hold fast, understand part of following Jesus, the process of him working out his salvation. We would use the term sanctification. Part of what that's going to mean is God is going to use trials and hardships and sometimes even successes to expose our weaknesses and self-reliance so that we'll confess that weakness, we'll praise him for his power and strength, and we'll get up in his grace. How do we do it? We hold on by his grace through faith. Well, what are we holding on to? Well, look what he says. You've, you've held fast. Hold fast to what you have. Well, what has he told them they've had? He says, you've kept my word and not denied my name. You've kept my word, what I say, and you are owning my, my name, my character, my call. Church family, if we're going to hold fast, we have to hold fast to what he's given us. What has he given us? His word. We hold fast to him at what he says. We embrace what he says. We embrace how he says it, no matter what culture's opinion is of it. And this, this can be a variety of things. It means we embrace what God says about absolute truth, about right and wrong, about morality, about sexuality. We stand where he stands, what he says on things that are controversial in our broader culture. It also means we stand, we stand where he says in his word on things maybe we're not as much thinking about. Let me give you an example. I've just run into several churches lately who are experiencing lots of drama surrounding buildings. Shocker. <laughs> and it's because they're not holding fast to what the, word, the, the Lord's Word says. Church family, we got a great building. But I want to be clear. If something happens in the next seven days and we don't ever meet in this building ever again, we, we will not cease to be a church. This is just a building. We are the church. That's what God's Word says. And the question is, are we going to be more passionate about what God's Word says, that we're a church, whether we meet in a sanctuary, we meet in a cave, or we meet in a field, or are we going to bicker and complain about a building? We've got to hold fast to His Word. All of it, what He says, what He says, not just what He says, but holding fast to His Word means we hold fast to how He says it. 
I'm going to hold fast to what God says about right or wrong and absolute truth. That's great. Are you also going to hold fast to the fact that if you're going to own the name of Jesus, it means you're going to reflect His character, which means are you going to turn the other cheek? Are you going to repay evil for evil, or are you going to pay, repay evil with good? Are you going to pray for your enemy and those who persecute you, or are you going to curse them and ask God to take them out? Are you going to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus with sternness and arrogance or with gentleness and kindness? See, holding on to his word, church family, it's, it's, it is absolutely, we got to stand where Jesus stands based on what he says, but it's also we got to stand not just where he stands, but how he stands there. Both what and how matter. We've got to keep his word. So church family, if we want to put this into practice, we got to make sure today, Lord, is there any place in my life where I'm not standing and believing your word based on what it says and I'm not standing with you? Is there any place in my life, Lord, or maybe, maybe I'm standing where you stand on stuff, but am I standing in a way that's not reflective of your character? We want to put this into practice. We've got to hold fast by standing where he stands, how he stands. But not only that, part of what it means to hold fast, he said, you've kept my word and, and you have not denied my name. It means they've embraced his ministry. They've embraced his ministry. They're not just standing where he stands and, and how he stands. They're not just uh, unashamed to be recognized with Jesus. It means they've embraced his ministry. And indeed, he says, look back with me. He says, hold fast so that no one will take your crown. Well, what's the crown? The victor's wreath, the medal at the end of the race. Church family, here's the reality holding fast to who he is, holding fast to what he says, not denying his name, means we must fulfill the ministry that God has carved out in Christ Jesus for us. Amen. There are lives that God wants to use you to touch. There are people God wants to use this church to reach. And if we will hold fast, he will touch them and he will reach them through us. We've got to run the race. There's a real victor's crown. He's marked out a race for us as to finish. It's not our race, it's his race, and we've got to follow hard after him in church, not forfeit the reward. Listen, no one can actually take the crown from you, but there's all sorts of examples in Scripture of people forfeiting their own reward. I can't keep you from running Jesus' race but I can forfeit the reward God would desire to give me running my own race. No, no force can keep us as a church from running the race God has kept us, but we as a church can choose to not hold fast to Jesus and trip and stumble and not finish the course God has carved for us. We must hold fast. Church family, Jesus has opened a door for ministry to, to our church, to us individually, and no one can shut the door that he's opened. We can knock on closed doors, we can sit on our hands, but, but no one can shut the door. God has opened a door for us to be about the kingdom work, to be about his great commission of making disciples in Pflugerville, Huddle, Maynard, Elgin, Round Rock, Austin, and beyond. And if we are gonna truly love Jesus, we're gonna have a missionary heart. And not take our eye off of Christ and just become a spiritual country club. 
Church family, he's laid in ministry. We've got to run the race. We must do the work of ministry. And notice, it's going to require endurance. He says, not only have you kept my word, you've kept the word of my perseverance. Here's the reality. God does not tell this church, go find ways to get more power and gain more influence. He says, endure. Be faithful. Be faithful to me. Endure. So if we're going to hold fast, we hold fast to what he says how he says it. But even bigger than that, if we're going to hold fast, church family, it means we hold fast to who he is. Listen, we do hold fast to the word of God, but we hold fast to the word of God because the word of God is God's word. Jesus is a person. He's real. We hold fast to him. We hold fast to the one who is holy. He's not like me or anyone else in creation. We can trust him at his word. He is true. We hold fast to the one who's the sovereign king. He is the rightful ruler. He is in control. He is the Messiah, and he does deliver. We, we hold fast to the one who is sovereign as doorman. Listen, on the day when you as a believer feel at your weakest, at your most powerless, and your most insignificant, understand if you are covered in the blood of Jesus, God has thrown open in Christ the door to the throne room of heaven, and no one can shut you out. You cling to him. We cling to that position. We cling that though we may suffer, He loves us. Did you see that? You're you're suffering at the hands of of those who say they're God's people but are not, but I'm going to make it clear to them, I have loved you. There is no more perfect love than the love of God the Father for God the Son, and God the Father did not spare God the Son from suffering. Understand, church family, that our value to His heart is never in question. And there is going to come a day where not only will those who oppose us see that, but there will come a day when all of the trials and hardships you and I have faced, there will come a day when we will see the face of Jesus and and no more seeing dimly in a broken mirror, but we will see with clarity that there was never a moment in the highs or lows where we were not perfectly loved. He loves us. He protects and preserves us. He sustains us. Listen, Jesus won't bring us through anything that he can't bring us through. He says, I will keep you through. We may live in a time where it seems like his favor rests upon others because of the prosperity they face, but understand that's exactly what those in Philadelphia would have seen. But Jesus says, I see you. You hold fast, hold fast to me. What does this mean practically, church family? It means you and I have to be really good about every day taking captive our thoughts and meditating on who Jesus is. It means it's going to be tempting to forget that Jesus really does love us. And so what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to go and remember Jesus loves us. It's going to be tempting to forget that Jesus will keep us, protect us, preserve us through the hour of trial. And we're going to have to remember, Jesus, you will protect and preserve and see us through. We're going to have to be experts at taking captive the thoughts of our mind to the truth of who God is as he reveals himself in his word. We're going to have to remember the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart. Be pleasing to your name, O Lord. Well, what does that mean? It means we think about him correctly. We speak about him correctly. There will be temptation to doubt him, so we have to take real action to both prepare and respond to that temptation. 
We do it by meditating on who he is, but that's not it yet. There's one more way we hold fast. We hold fast by his grace and might. We hold fast to what he says, how he says it. We hold fast to who he is. We also hold fast because of what he's bringing. Look back at the text with me, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's what he said, and we're gonna go in reverse order. He says, to the one who overcomes, he said, here's what's coming. Hold fast, hold fast by my grace, overcome by, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. To the one who overcomes, I will write the name of God, the name of the new city, the na- my new name on them. Listen, if you are in Philadelphia, you have lived in a city that's undergone multiple name changes depending upon who, who was the benefactor for the city. And here's what Jesus says. He says, forget those benefactors who come and go, the benefactors, some of whom came in and rebuilt the city and then crippled the economy. He says, I am the good shepherd and you overcome. Here's what's gonna happen. The name, writing the name, the, the ownership, the security, the citizenship, it's gonna be clear you belong to God, that you're a citizen of the city of eternity and and that you are mine forever. What a comfort that would be that the one who offers to write the name of his God, the name of the the city of his God and his new name forever on them is is not, not just some benefactor, but he is Lord, King, Savior, he is good, he is Alpha and Omega, he is true and he is coming for his people. But not only that, he also says this, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Well, the temple of my God, what's that a reference? That's that's the holy of holies. That's the throne. That's the very personal, intimate presence of God. He says, I will make for you a pillar. I'll make you a pillar. Now, that may seem strange to some of us. I don't know how many of you go around and have pillars in your homes, but I want you to see this picture. It's two pictures. These are the ruins of modern-day Philadelphia. It looks like a lot of ruins of ancient Greco-Roman cities. You can see this picture, and we can go to the next one. This is ancient Philadelphia today. Now, here's what I want you to notice. When you look at pictures like this, and I had never thought of it this way till this week, what do you notice? There's not a lot of buildings standing, but the pillars still remain. For a city that would, that would know what it's like to see the buildings crumble, to, see, to live in the constant tension of when is everything gonna fall apart? Danger is around any corner. Here's what Jesus says, you hold fast and you overcome because what I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna do in eternity is I'm gonna fix you like a pillar in the temple of my God, there is a security. You will be in the presence of the Most High and nothing, no power of man, no scheme of hell, no earthquake, no ruler, nothing and no one will ever shake you out of his temple. That church family is our hope. And when we see what what is coming, Jesus is returning. He is returning to Marcus with his name. He is returning to plant us securely. That in this world where where you turn on the news and every day you're trying to figure out is, is, are we on the verge of World War III or not? That in Christ, there is absolute and total peace and security. 
And the call for us today, church family, is not to buy the lies that we are somehow small and insignificant, though in this world we may be. It is not to buy the lie that we are powerless, though according to this world we might be. But it is to hold fast to the one whom loves us to the one whom is the sovereign ruler, to the one who empowers us to hold on, to hold fast, to walk with him until he returns. The question for us today in this world, church family, is will we? Will we hold fast? Or will we trip and stumble? Church family, may we be found to hold fast. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you, it's to you whom we praise, it's to you whom we worship, and it is to you whom we are to hold fast. God, some of us in this room, we we need to hold fast to what your word says. We've allowed allowed false prophets and opinions of the world to, to taint where we're standing. Some of us in this room, we need to hold fast to how you say it. We, we, we stand for the right things, but we, we don't do it with the right spirit. Lord, there's some of us in this room, we need to hold fast. We're on the verge of getting up and giving up and quitting the ministry you've entrusted to us. Maybe that's the ministry of being a spouse, the ministry of being a parent, the ministry of, uh, of evangelism in the workplace. Lord, you know what the ministry is you've called us to. There's some of us, we're despairing, and we need to hold fast. Jesus, there's some of us in here who are actively, passionately walking with you and seeking to hold true to your word and do your work, but, but there are deep questions and doubts, and we are struggling to hold fast to who you are. Lord, there's some in this room that we just wonder, with all the dark days that seem in front of us, where's the hope? And Lord, your word to each one of us is hold fast. So Jesus, you are worthy. May we respond to you in accordance with how you're moving. If there's any in this room or online that don't know you, Lord, today may they come to know you so that they may be held forever fast by you. Jesus, we look to you. It's to you we respond, and in your name I pray.